Lord, we praise you that through faith in your Son, Jesus, you've got us. There is a sweetness, there is a tenderness, there is such love, there is such security and leadership and a future. Lord, we pray that through your word this morning you would also remind us of your greatness, of the raw, pure, unstoppable power that you possess, that you use for your glory, and your glory that is beyond anything we can imagine. Lift our minds and our hearts, our eyes upward, that we might be caught up in that glory, even through your word, and that it might make a difference in our lives and service to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 29. Psalm 29, as we continue in the uh, first book of the Psalms. First, I'd like to just give you a sentence. God's glory is shown by His power that leads to our security and hope. God's glory is shown by His power that leads to our security and hope. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars into pieces of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And all in His temple cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord is enthroned as King forever. The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. I'd like for us to think for a few minutes about your top five things that terrify you the most. The, the, the top five things that could happen to you in your life that terrify you the most. And let me just cut to the chase here and, and ask you this question. How many of you have in your, your top two some natural disaster like a tornado or a hurricane or something of that sort? If you raise your hand, if, if you have that in your top two. Not many. More in the early service. Well, I'd like to talk to you at the door to find out what, uh, what you're really scared of. Some people, what, 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 somebody holler out their number one thing they're scared of. Heights. Okay, more than a tornado? All right. You can tell I'm trying to get to the storm thing here in Psalm 29. Uh, somebody hollered out fire. 
you know, or drowning, or someone said anything horrible happening to my children. You know, as we were talking at the back door, I'd love to hear, get some input from you later about that. When we lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama from 1991 to 1998, it was about 1994 when uh, that was in Tornado Alley, just like we are here. And, and you know, you're watching Next Rad or Doppler Rad or whatever Rad that is, you know, you've glued to the set because they're, they're trying to tell you, and they get it right down to the neighborhoods almost, where that tornado is going to hit. And folks, it was coming to Brandon Parkway. That's where we lived. And it was, you know, you don't know exactly with pinpoint, but we, we really, you know, it, it, this, you know, you have the it, time to take cover notice. And, uh, and so in our house, we had a two-story house with, built on a slab, really good target to be blown away. Uh, but it had a real steep staircase. And under the staircase, whoever built the house was clever enough to to put like a closet, triangular-shaped closet, you know, under the staircase, had a door. That's where we hid, you know, two or three times a year. So we got our pillows in there and our water and our cell phones and our Bible and everything, you know. We didn't know how long we'd stay in there. And I got everybody situated, my family. Now, I live next door to a, a man whose name is Tom Morse. Tom Morse and I went to college together at Auburn. We were in a campus ministry together. And t- 10 years later, we, we lived next to each other. And I was his pastor, and he was a deacon in my church. And uh, had a great, it was children the same age. It was a great thing. So I, I put my family safely where they needed to be. And I walked outside, you know, being a guy, you know, just want to see it before it hit. So I walked outside, and Tom was out there, done the same thing. So we started talking. I can't tell you how ghastly green the sky was with these, these gray and black clouds just rolling across the, the heavens. It was, it was like something out of some kind of a sci-fi movie or something. You know, it was, it was horrible. And the wind began to pick up. And when I say pick up, I mean in the space of, of less than 10 minutes, we were gaining by 10 degrees at a time. And the wind and the trees started moving. It was coming. I didn't know if it was the, 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 the twister was coming to my house, but I knew something really powerful was coming. And, I, and so I looked at Tom. I said, Tom, I think it's time for us to go into our houses and get in our little closets and shut the door now. And I said, hey, I will either see you after the storm or I'll see you in heaven, okay? And he was like, oh, great, you know. <laughs> and being a pastor, I lifted my hands and gave him a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you, Tom. So we got in there. It was furious. And evidently that tornado, I was told later, had touched down and it kind of kicked up in the air or something. I don't know much about weather. It went over us and came down four miles from our house, three or four miles, and just utterly destroyed a shopping center. But I want to tell you, even though it didn't hit our house, and some of y'all from the, that have relatives about 35 miles from here understand the, the, the raw power of a storm. And all of us have been through a storm. It it surprises us. It's a whole lot different going through a hurricane or a tornado or being close to one than watching one on the Weather Channel. Is it not? There's something shocking about the realization of of such power that cannot be controlled. And um, people in this sanctuary right here, right now, have been through tornadoes on the coast. 
have been, I mean, excuse me, hurricanes on the coast. You've been through tornadoes. And, and I guess what I, what I need to understand from you is if you, can, are you, can you get a feel for the, just the raw, unstoppable power of a hurricane or a tornado? Because David wants us to grasp that power this morning through Psalm 29. And here's the reason he wants us to grasp it. Because if we can begin to grasp the outrageous power of a storm, then we will only begin to begin to even hint at the real power of God Almighty who rules from heaven. God's glory is shown in His power which leads to security and hope. God's glory is where this passage starts out. He is who He is. God is the only one enthroned above all thrones. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted above all. There are so many sentences, there are so many descriptors of God in the and the glory and the lofty nature of God. And in verse 1 of Psalm 29, we read these words, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And the word ascribe here simply means to give. Give to the Lord, say glory to God. Say you are strong to God. You know, worship is not a commodity. Worship is not something we receive. Worship is a verb. It it is something we render unto God who alone is God and we are not. And he is glorious. Now, when we give ourselves to God, when we ascribe to the Lord glory and say, yes, you are the the strength of the universe, then in, in the midst of worshiping, there is great blessing. And God inhabits the praises of his people and he meets with his people through worship. But this is about the glory of God. Who are the mighty ones? Do you see that? Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. The mighty ones. Well, there's a little disagreement about that. But most people, most modern scholars at least, uh, believe that these are angels. And the idea is that God is so glorious that human praise alone is insufficient. Because they're in all the realms of, of, of God's creation, including the realm of, of heaven itself that that the mighty ones the the angels are worshiping and and giving glory to God you know to understand what worship is obviously there's there's lots of instructions about worship there's lots of examples of worship in the old testament in the tabernacle in the temple and then in the synagogue uh, in the new testament and then in the church we find lots of instruction on worship but you know the the place if you really and there's a lot of debating that goes on about about some of that stuff that you read. But the place where you really get the heart of worship more than any other teaching in the Bible is, and this is so wonderful of God to give us this, there are several scenes in heaven of worship of God directly. And what we find in heaven is that it's all about the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb It's all about God, and it's all about His glory. It's all about His majesty and splendor. And the angels in heaven, what are they always doing? They're always singing, holy, 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 and and everybody else as well. And uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation 7, 
verses 11 and 12, we, we see one of these scenes about the glory of God. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen or truly praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's longhand for what Psalm 29 says, ascribe to the Lord, O angels, glory and strength. God is glorious. Look at verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Do you understand that God is worthy of worship by virtue of who He is? Worship is about a who before it's a what. And, And we are to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. And, uh, and look, every creature does. The angels do. You know, the, the trees do. The rocks do. But all people don't. They don't all people give glory to God. Some people say he doesn't exist. Some people say he's, a, he's just what I want him to be. But I will tell you this, all will one day worship him. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you read that passage a little slower, what you see is, is everybody is above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. Everybody in heaven, earth, and hell will all say God is glorious. God is king. We need to get a feel for the high majesty of God. I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy 6, 15. This is one of those passages where there's something kind of embedded in the passage where you go, oh, that's where that is. You know, there's certain things that jump out and you go, I'm not sure where that is. Well, this is one of those passages. 1 Timothy 6, 15. God is the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is alone, immortal, and listen to these words, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And and this is an important passage because God, I mean, what does it mean for God to dwell in, quote, unapproachable light? Well, obviously, it would have to do with his glory, but the, the, the glory alone is not the reason for the unapproach of us before God. It has to do with verse 2 of Psalm 29. Worship the Lord, hear this sentence, in the splendor of his holiness. That it's not just the glory of God. It is the holiness of God. It is the Old Testament word kadosh, which is the word for holy, which means to cut or separate. Separate. Meaning God is not only great, but he's distinct and he's different. And in that distinction, in that utter shining purity and holiness, we as sinners cannot approach him. 
That's why the gospel is so beautiful, because we as sinners cannot approach him. And so, you know, God so loved us that he sent his only son to deal with the sin that we have that keeps us from God on a Roman cross, to be punished in our place, so that all of the sin that keeps us unapproachable, that keeps God unapproachable to us, is removed And we're actually able, on the basis, when we put our faith in what Jesus has done for us, rather than trying to make ourselves righteous or good, then we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because he who lives in unapproachable glory has now removed this barrier, and we can actually worship him. John Gill, one of the Puritans, says, Holiness is the beauty of God himself. He is glorious in holiness. He goes, it is the beauty of angels. It is the beauty of the saints. Meaning that if there's anything beautiful about us other than the fact that we're made in the image of God, though marred that image is still beautiful, but if there's any real beauty about us, it would be what God has given us. It would be through Jesus that he has declared us righteous and we can approach God. God's glory God's glory, secondly, shown through his power, is going to lead to our security and hope. See, it's not just glory and the glory being the splendor. Don't you love that word, the splendor of his holiness? But it's also, in this passage, the power that that glorious God demonstrates and has in his little finger. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. We're talking about the the oceans here, the ocean. The voice of the Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. He breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian and like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert, shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry, cry glory, glory. Now look. If each psalm were made into a film, like a movie, this would get the prize for most special effects of any psalm. Except for one thing. These aren't special effects. This is real. This is the actual power of God, except for this. God's power is actually infinite. How do you say that? So much greater than this. Okay? If you uh, were an Israelite and you were reading this, you know, and you see these words like Syrian and, and Kadesh, and, you know, we read these and we're like, what's that? You know, it kind of goes right over our heads. If an Israelite was reading this, they'd say, oh, yeah. What he's saying, those are coordinates in our country. He's saying that the storm of God, the voice of God, The power of God shown in a storm is going to start to the north and go from north all the way to south. It's going to envelop the entire country. So what I'd like to do is I want to to talk about the power of God by tracking this storm just for a minute. You want to track a storm with me? 
the storm we read in verse 3 starts out in the Mediterranean Sea as God just is stirring up the, the mighty waters and, and there's this, this, he's thundering over the, the raging ocean and there's this storm that's brewing out in the Mediterranean. And so this huge storm then slams Israel in the north. It, it makes landfall right there near Lebanon, which is the, the, the uppermost border on the Mediterranean Sea of Israel uh, and just just shreds the cedars of Lebanon. I mean, they're just like matchsticks before the Lord. You know about the cedars of Lebanon? They were famed to be so tall and strong. I mean, that was a symbol of strength. Lebanon on their flag today still has one of those big trees on their flag as a symbol of national pride. Let me tell you, cedar of Lebanon, twick, when, when, when the storm of God's voice comes, it's just snapping the cedars of Lebanon. Then that storm begins to move south and goes to what's called Syrian, which is basically Mount Hermon and just reduces Mount, just rocks Mount Hermon and reduces it to rubble. The, the raw power of God and the, the lightning is, the voice of the Lord is flashing lightning and thunder claps that are just beyond anything you could even imagine. And then this, this storm goes south to what's called the desert of Kadesh. This is way down deep in the southernmost boundary of Israel. This is the, that wilderness down there. The Lord, the voice of the Lord, listen to these words, shakes the desert of Kadesh. The, the Hebrew word for shake literally means writhing and gyrating. This storm that started in the Mediterranean with all the thunder and lightning that's just you snapping trees and reducing mountains, it has now become, in addition to that, a sandstorm. And the desert, this forbidden kind of place that is hard to exist, is just writhing and gyrating with the power of God and being utterly destroyed. And, and, and then the storm moves and just strips the forests bare and just twists the oaks. I mean, we know about oaks. How hard, I mean, how much strength would it be just to just to twist an oak tree like this. In our modern vernacular, if we saw that on the Weather Channel, we'd say, wow! Verse 9, you know what they say? Glory! Power from glory! Okay, Presbyterians. I get to get Presbyterians to say glory this morning. Say it. Glory. Uh, that's not good enough. Glory. That's good. That's the response to who God is and his power. The glory of God is shown by the power of God represented in the storm. You know, the recent tornadoes just 35 miles north of here in Yazoo City remind us of the magnitude of that power. And we sent up some, some folks to help out with that and the reports back of just the destruction, incredible power um, you know, I think it's important to say at this point, when we start talking about God and storms, it's real important to say that this sermon is not about why storms come to people. Uh, in the Old Testament, God will identify certain things, but unless he identifies it, you need to keep your mouth shut. You do not, you are not God, I am not God, you do not say why a storm hit. And sometimes down here in the Bible buckle of the Bible belt, we'll say stuff like, yeah, those Haitians practice that voodoo. God just wiped them out. How dare you? 
If God were to hit Las Vegas, there'd be people down here. Oh, man, God got tired of all that gambling and prostitution. He just, boom. Well, let me tell you, there are people in Las Vegas probably saying right now, God got tired of all that racism and just crashed into Yazoo City. And we wouldn't appreciate that very much, would we? Because they don't know us. This isn't about why storms come. This is about the power of them only as a tiny, infinitesimal indicator, a marker, maybe just an, a window to a foothill of the Himalayan towering, overpowering power of God that cannot even be realized by a storm. But it is precisely in the, the language of storm that we get a sense of His power because we've all been through one. And these people had been through one as well. You know, we... Um, that this, this, this language of God in the storm, it's very, it's common Bible language. It is not common. In fact, people have no clue how to talk about these kind of things. Everybody's trying to figure out why and who sent it and what that. You know what? What we're supposed to see in the storm is sheer power and remember God's power. But I tell you, that's unusual language because American Christians tend to want to domesticate God into this really sweet being who does really sweet things that we think he ought to do. You know, he's the good Lord. We have the good book. And that's why he, he exists to give us all the sweet things that we need. And the idea of God's power represented by a hurricane is not any place anybody, many people today would want to go, but that is precisely the language here. You know... Even in this cataclysmic storm, in Psalm 29, it doesn't even come close to actually describing the power of God. I'd like for you to turn to 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. It's a famous passage of when Elijah had had his showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And God had sent fire to the altar, his altar, and the, of course the prophets of Baal could not. Baal is not God. Uh, that didn't work out too well. He slew the prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the wicked queen, said, I'm going to kill you for doing that. And uh, Mr. I Believe in God ran for 40 days. <laughs> he ran all the way down the south. He's down here where the desert's shaking. Well, let me tell you something. You can't, you can't run away from God. You can't run away from God. Go ahead and write that down in your notes too. Because God caught up with him, so to speak. God's everywhere, but. We read in 1 Kings 19, the Lord said to Elijah, who's just utterly depressed, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Listen to this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came, there was a fire. There's that for that person that fire was your number one. There was a, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he knew that that was the voice of God. And he pulled his cloak over his face. 
And he went out and stood in the mouth of the cave, and the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, as much power as that, that's not equal to God. God's not equal to an earthquake. God's not equal to the wind. God's not equal to these things. But I will say this. There is a reason that some people confuse God in his creation. You know, I went to India. Hinduism, that's one of the, one of the things they do is they, confu- they, they worship the creation. Everything's kind of God and God's kind of everything. We, Christianity, of course, what the scriptures teach is that in the beginning there was God and he was separate from creation and God created the heavens and the earth and God sits enthroned over his creation. He is distinct from his creation, but there's a reason why people confuse creation and God because storms are horrific and powerful. Because mountains are beautiful and waterfalls are breathtaking, you see. It's only an indicator, a pointer to the real beauty and power of God. God's glory is shown in His power leading to our security. And that's the last thing is this this notion of when we are able to to see that God is lofty and exalted and worship in them in the splendor of His holiness. When we're able to begin to grasp, even through what is known, what is far beyond us, but blows us away in the power of God through a storm, something happens in us who know Him. To articulate that power, as David is doing, to articulate the sense of fear and awe, to articulate the sense of our smallness here in Psalm 29 and and the raw power of God is, is just to realize a little bit of that reality. But verse 10 really is kind of the punchline. If you want to know what the punchline of the psalm is, is verse 10. And you go through the voice of the Lord. Voice of the Lord is powerful, right? How do we know the voice of the Lord is powerful? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And he said, God created the entire world and everything that exists by the sheer power of his voice. All right? But in verse 10, it says this. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits as king, enthroned as king forever. Now, here's the, here's, this, is, this is really amazing. The word in Hebrew here for flood is only used in one other place in the entire Bible. You know what it is? It's Genesis 6 through 9. Other words are used other than that because this isn't just talking about lots of water. This is talking about how God was enthroned over the flood that destroyed the entire earth. In other words, God's power is ultimate. This is kind of the crescendo of all this stuff, of this storm system of the voice of God reminding us of the power of God. And, it, and then it's like, yeah, and you know what? How powerful God is. He destroyed the entire earth by flood. That's the flood. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. His power is ultimate. Now let me ask you this question. If that's true, do you think that that God is able to give his church what we need? 
I'm talking about in the world, not just this local church. Do you think that God who sits enthroned above the flood can give his church what they need? Do you think that God who sits enthroned above the flood, sits enthroned as king forever, can run your little life and my little life? It's a real important question to ask. The juxtaposition of these things is intentional. And God wants to remind us this morning of the glory and the power. But, but he wants us to understand that worshiping him is not just saying who God is. It is saying also who God is to us. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the covenant relational God of love and power, of power and love to his people, the one you can count on, the one we know you see. When we cry glory, we get peace. That's what the text says. When we say strength to God, we get strength. Look at verse 11. The Lord who sits enthroned above the flood and king forever, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with shalom or fullness or peace. Which leads us to one last passage that also is a furious storm and so scary. If you'll turn to Mark 4, 36... Verses 41, Jesus had just finished teaching and he got into a boat with his disciples and they began to go across the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, which is a freshwater body of water. We read these words in Mark 4, 36. Leaving the crowd behind... They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37. A furious squall came up. This is like the the movie The Perfect Storm. You know? A squall. This, This furious storm came up. The waves broke over the boat to sink it. They were nearly swamped, verse 37. Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion in the middle of the storm. Well, the boat's about to sink. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Verse 39, he got up. Listen to these words. Incredible. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I'm talking squall, shoo. You know, drowning, fear, and Jesus stands up and says, Quiet, be still, and it's just shoom. Look, look at what, how they responded. It was completely calm, verse 39. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me? Is what he's saying. They were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves, even the storm obeys him. He's over the storm. Christ has come to us. He has lived 
He has died on a cross for sinners. He has taken our sin. He has taken sin upon him because we cannot approach God and we can never have a relationship with God on our own. And he has taken the full wrath of God upon himself so that we don't have to. He takes our sin and by faith we get a relationship. It is a beautiful thing. And if you have put your trust in him, then you know the one who has power over the storm. He's not just enthroned, so to speak. He is with you. And brothers and sisters, as long as he is with you, by faith, you will come through every storm. And you will end up in heaven with him. God's glory is shown in his power leading to security and hope. And all in his temple cry. And all in his temple cry. Lord, we do say glory to you because it is who you are. Would you now open hearts to see you for who you actually are, see what you've done. If you've never put your trust in what God has done for sinners on the cross, but you see that you can't do this on your own, you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I see it. Thank you that you have sent your son to do for me, to handle my sin that's between me and you in a way that I could never do for myself. Lord, I turn from everything that I've called religion. I turn to you and you only in that finished and completed work. Lord, come into my life and lead me. Lord, keep my eyes lifted up to you. Be my God of glory and my God of power. Give me that security that I might serve you well. Lord, there are many of us that have known you and we're caught up in storms, and we're so scared, and we have lost sight of you. Would you restore that sight? Would you help us understand who you are and what your real power is? Lord, would you restore that faith that understands that you are leading your church? You will grow your church And you are providing everything necessary for our lives in you. Lord, in the midst of glory and power, bring security and hope in a fresh way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.